Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter to you all. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we thank you that we can worship you in spirit and in truth because Christ has redeemed us and we belong to you forever, that you've purchased us with the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that great and generous gift you gave us of your one and only begotten Son, that we can become children of God. And, and Heavenly Father, we thank you that your children are the promise that you gave to Abraham. That You said to him, you'll have descendants as numerous as the sand on the shore, as numerous as the stars in the sky. And we thank you that your promise is alive and true. We thank you that across the world today, there are people who are receiving you by faith in droves. That people are turning to you. For salvation, that people are finding new life in you, King Jesus. We thank you that you are alive indeed, that you are risen, that you are ascended, that you are seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, ruling and reigning as the true King over your true kingdom. And we thank you that you are a King of justice and of righteousness, and that these are the foundation of your throne, and that you, and that you being the true King is good news for every one of us. And so we welcome you now by your Spirit and ask that you would come and just, I pray that you'd bring hope to us this morning. I pray that you'd bring new hope, fresh hope. I pray for those who have no hope in, in their lives at all right now today in this room. I pray that hope would come. I pray that those who have lost hope, I pray that hope would come afresh this morning. And I pray for those who, who, are, who are today um, enjoying life with you and have you as their hope. I pray that that hope would be even strengthened today as we just right now remind ourselves indeed that you are the risen Saviour and Lord. So be with us, we pray in these moments. Amen. Just before um, I get going, I just want to share a story from our family of churches, regions beyond. Um, you, will, you will have heard of the, um, our family of churches, I'm sure, regions beyond. And we just got a tweet through, or not tweet, um, WhatsApp message. Um, this week, just an update. So, across our family of churches, there's lots of zigzagging across the world. And just recently, there was a team of seven people that went out from Gateway Church in Dubai to go and serve a young church in the Philippines. Um, and they were just going to serve, just to encourage and support and strengthen them. And they did some um, outreach mission-type um, services. And at one point, they preached the gospel, and 110 people responded to the gospel and gave their lives to Jesus. And I just think that is so fantastic. It's so exciting. Right across our family of churches, there are many, many stories of what God is doing. It's exciting. And we want to find ways of sharing these stories. 110 people in one meeting responded to the gospel. Jesus is truly alive. And we are caught up in his mission. I was so encouraged when I heard that. I have a picture that I also received on WhatsApp recently um, I might have shared this story, I don't know. And it was at the church plant in Bloemfontein that Colin and Pam Nichols um, have, are leading the team there. They've moved out from the UK to South Africa to plant this church. And at the, at the um, launch of this church, there were people from all over the world that went to just help, encourage, support them in that. And there's this, there was this picture that got um, WhatsApped out and... It was of two guys just embracing at the front of one of these of the launch of this church that had gone to support this church plant, and it was a picture of a Jewish Israeli guy who is a follower of Christ Jesus, 
and an Iranian ex-Muslim who is now a follower of Jesus. And they're just embracing, at the, at the launch of this church plant in Bloemfontein, which was the, the, the bedrock, if you like, of apartheid in Africa. And you just see that Jesus is transforming lives. In, in the world, in the world's eyes, these two people are just hostile to one another. You just see, you see it in the news, don't you? Hostility, enmity between these people groups. And yet in Christ, these two people groups are brought together as brothers, worshipping the risen Lord Jesus, advancing his kingdom as, as they seek to serve a church plant together in Bloemfontein, no less. And there are amazing, countless stories like this. And I really want to find ways that we can begin to tell them because this is what we're caught up in. This is God's mission. This is what God is doing. And we just have the privilege, really, of telling his story. That he's alive, that he is transforming lives, that nobody is beyond God's reach, that no community or no communities that are hostile to each other, no matter the hostility, in Christ there is reconciliation. And that's who we are. We are ministers of reconciliation. We tell people, hey, you and you come together in Christ, and he'll not only make you like each other, he'll make you brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. He is at work, he is alive, he is reigning and ruling. And just for a few moments, I want to pick up on the story of Daniel. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 6 this morning. Um, but really, I just want to pick up on the point of Daniel chapter 6. I, in, in our very clever planning, it's so great that we're preaching Daniel chapter 6 on Easter Sunday. It really is, or it just worked out like that somehow. Um, and so as we today just focus on the empty tomb... That Jesus is indeed alive, that he has conquered sin and death itself. Daniel chapter 6 really just leads us so well into that story. And so, you remember last week we got to the end of the reign of King Belshazzar. The hand came and wrote on the wall, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. You've been found wanting. Your days are numbered. Your kingdom is divided. That's what that means. And... I just want you to think for a moment, that that hand that came and wrote on the wall was a hand that came and wrote before, back in Exodus on the tablets, the hand of God came and wrote some very important rules for God's people. And the hand comes and writes again, and just when the hand writes, the hand of God writes, he has something important to tell. And that's where we ended up and, and just said, if you do not know Jesus Christ, the same writing applies to you, that same message applies to you, that you have been found wanting. That each one of us had fallen short of the glory of God and his standard. And that our days are indeed numbered. In fact, the Psalms talk about our days being fleeting. Like a vapor. Here one moment and then gone the next. Hey, look, I'm alive. I'm, I'm in my prime right now. But then, gosh, where did life go? Our days are indeed numbered. Life is but a mere vapor. It just flashes by. And in the scales of God's judgment, we are all found wanting because of our sin and rebellion against God. And therefore we are destined to die. This is the, the condition of humanity. I was just talking with Ed and Robert just before the meeting and we were just saying it's crazy when you look around the world today how you look at rulers, every single one of them, who are leading different nations and all the, all the rhetoric and all the bravado and all the posturing that's going on right now and you think, how is it that these rulers don't learn from the previous generation of rulers and their mistake? We said that, didn't we, about Belshazzar. How is it that he didn't learn from his grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar? I'm sure he knew the story. I'm sure people poked fun at him. Hey, your granddad was the one that was like an ox, like a beast in the field, eating the grass. 
And yet he didn't learn the mistakes. And there is something about humanity that we don't learn from those who have gone before us very well. Because actually, it's not just an education issue. We have a heart issue. That each one of us is broken. Each one of us has sinned and fallen short of God's story. That we are in desperate need of a saviour. Of somebody who will come and save us, not just from sin, but from ourselves. This is, this is the story that we find ourselves in. It's why on the news today we see rulers of nations right on the brink of stupid decisions. And you just want to go, didn't you learn from previous generations? But it's, it's why you and I continually make the stupid mistakes we do. Because we, although we see what others do, we have, an, we have an issue of sin in our heart. But God, in his great love for us, even before the foundation of the world, he set his son that he might one day die for us, that he would reconcile himself. Jesus was not just the answer to sin, it was God's eternal plan. Even before creation, that he would have a people of his own that are saved through his son. People that have encountered the grace and love of God, that that worship him from the heart, that God has given them new hearts to worship him forever. This isn't just God's, oh dear, it's gone wrong plan. This was God's eternal plan, that he would send his son. That he would give his son, born to die, for you and me. And so in Daniel, we come to, we've come to the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. That was short, sorry, Belshazzar's reign. That was short-lived. And now we have a new king, new kingdom. The Medes and Persians have taken over. Literally, that very day, Belshazzar died. And the Medes and Persians moved into town. And... It's just a bit like yada, 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 basically. It's like, yep, same old, same old. New king, new kingdom. New king, new kingdom. New king, new kingdom. Every king, every kingdom will rise and fall, will rise and fall. But there is only one true king and one true kingdom that will last forever. And that is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And in Daniel chapter 3, we come to Daniel's turn for persecution. His friends before were persecuted for refusing to bow down to the statue, and now Daniel is up for persecution. It's his turn to be sentenced to death. So at this point in the story, we have new leaders on the the scene. Darius is co-regent with Cyrus. If you are interested in history, you can go to the British Museum, and you can go and see stone tablets and cylinders that Cyrus wrote, talking about some of these events that are even on there. This isn't just history well-wishing. This is factual history that you can go and research and dig into. It is fascinating. Just one quick story. When Nigel and I were doing some training years ago, we, um, the guy who was um, leading our training session, he, he said, for one of our sessions, we're going to go to the British Museum. And so we went to the British Museum, and he was showing us um, Cyrus's cylinder, and, which is fascinating. But at the time, I think we were both like, what on earth are we doing here? Just bits of pottery and... And Mick Taylor, our Bible teacher at the time, was getting incredibly excited about this stuff. But it's amazing. You can go and read about these events in the British Museum if you are so inclined. And can I encourage you to one day when you have some time? Um, But anyway, at this point, there's new rulers on the scene. And of course, when you come into a new position of leadership in a kingdom or government, you have to pick your team. 
And you might pick a good team or you might pick a terrible team of men and women who will support you, men and women who will help quickly establish your rule and leadership. And, King, and Daniel is again appointed into a position of leadership in the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. He is picked as one of three administrators, over 120 provinces, to make sure that the king doesn't suffer loss, the Bible tells us. Kings and leaders and rulers are very paranoid people. And so Daniel is established as a leader, and he is brilliant at his job. This is a guy who is a standout guy from everybody else. His, his qualities... Both his integrity and his ability, his personal ability, his skill and talent makes him an outstanding person that gets spotted very quickly. And so, of course, he's picked and appointed as one of the key leaders. We're told that Daniel was faultless in his role. But this makes Daniel enemies very quickly. Maybe you have a colleague at work who is exceptionally good at what they do. And maybe it just provokes in you a sense of, oh, how comes it's so easy for them? How comes they just, they just sail through, they get the work done, but I'm still back at the office late having to catch up? Well, Daniel was that guy that provoked envy in those around him. And these guys are so outraged with Daniel that they want to come up with a plan to get rid of him. They want to remove him. They want him gone so that they can rise to the fore. And they can't pin him on his work. They're looking for ways to try and trap Daniel, but they can't trap him. The only way that these guys know that they can trap Daniel is through his faith in God Most High. They know Daniel really well. They know that he's a faithful follower of Yahweh, of the God of his people, Israel. And so what they do is they they devise a scheme to trap Daniel, basically. And so they go to the king and they say, we want to make a law... Or we, we, we've got together, in fact, and we've come up with a great idea for you, King Darius. We think that you should pass a law. We all agree this is a great idea. You should pass a law that nobody in your kingdom is allowed to pray to any god or any man or make any request of any god or man other than you for 30 days. I.e., you're, you're so important here. We think that you're the only one who's the true provider for your people. You're the only one who can... Um, who can pass what people can or can't pray for or request in life. And so they set up this, ridic- this most ridiculous rule that, that people are not allowed to pray. These guys know Daniel. They know his heart. And they know that they are about to trap him in the most fantastic way. In Daniel chapter 6, we see that Daniel has a pattern of daily prayer. We looked at this briefly last week, that three times a day, every day, he would go to his bedroom, his window that faced Jerusalem, and he would pray to God, and on his heart, it just shows us, doesn't it, what was on Daniel's heart, that even though he was in captivity in a foreign city, a place where he was an alien and stranger, that the city of God was on his heart. The temple needing to be rebuilt, God's kingdom established, the law and the prophets were on his heart, and he's facing Jerusalem, crying out to God for Jerusalem, remembering God's city. Hey, we're just like that. We're to be people who live in Swindon, who kind of say, yeah, we're here, but really our hearts are set on eternity. Our hearts are set on the kingdom of God, not on this world and all it has to offer us. And so Daniel's there, he's praying, and he hears this request. 
He hears, sorry, not this request, he hears this decree that nobody is allowed to pray. And so he goes to his room, he shuts the door, he gets on his knees, he faces Jerusalem, and he cries out to God. Amazingly, Daniel tells us that he gives thanks to God. I don't know when the last time was that you gave thanks to God for being persecuted, but actually that's the right response. God, thank you. It's what the apostles did, isn't it? They, they counted it joy that they were worthy of suffering for the name of Christ Jesus. It's exactly what Daniel is doing here. God, thank you. Thank you that this is an opportunity for you to break in, for your glory to be shown. And so Daniel, on hearing this, he goes and he prays just as he has always done. He's, he's saying this, I am not changing my behavior simply because somebody tells me that I cannot worship God. Nobody can tell me that I cannot worship the living God. And we see in verses 6 to 11, sorry, 11 to 15 of chapter 6, that this inevitably leads Daniel into trouble. And it's this that I want us to focus on for just a few minutes. This scripture that we're about to just come into, where Daniel is now in trouble for praying, it teaches us some deep truths about suffering for Christ. It teaches us some deep truths about God's power to save. He's an example The Bible makes it so clear that those who want to live faithfully for Jesus will be persecuted. And Daniel here is persecuted. It's so comforting to know that even in the moment of Daniel's persecution, that he is comforted by the presence of the Lord. As we see in a moment, this famous story of Daniel ending up in the lion's den. He sends his angel, God sends his angel to shut the mouths of the lions. But it's not just any old angel, it's his angel. We know who that is. It's the pre-incarnate son of God. He sent his angel to shut the mouth of the, li- of the lions. The apostle Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he tells us that we have an enemy. We have an enemy. Satan. And he tells us that Satan is like a, a lion that's prowling round, looking for people who he can devour. He's seeking out people who he can devour. And we have this enemy, Satan, who, who in, and in our modern mindsets, we, we can so quickly think, really, we've got an enemy? Yes, the Bible makes it very clear that there are spiritual forces of evil and wickedness at work. There's the scene creation right here, right now, and there's the unseen creation with angelic forces and demonic forces at war. And we have an enemy, Satan, who is right now prowling around looking for someone to devour. But the one who had the power to shut the mouths of the lion is also the one who has the power and authority to shut the mouth of this prowling, roaring lion, Satan. As we come into this story briefly about Daniel in the lion's den... Daniel here in the lion's den points to the fact that in some way he's participating in the suffering of Christ who was to come. All suffering for Christ is sharing in his suffering in some mysterious way. The Bible tells us this. Listen to this. Philippians chapter 3. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, the Apostle Paul said. 
He goes on to say this, I long to know him, that is Jesus, and the power of his resurrection. So many of us would say that's true. I long to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And that I may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. I wonder how many of us would go on to say that second part. I long to share also in the suffering of Christ, becoming like him in his death. So, let's just briefly turn to Daniel chapter 6 for a moment. It's not coming up on the board today. So you have to get your Bibles out. Board, screen. So these guys, they pin Daniel. They trap him, he's praying, and he is caught, worshipping, praying to the living God. And they go to King Darius and they say, didn't, we pass, didn't you pass this law that anybody praying to any other God other than you should be put to death? Verse 15, remember your majesty according to the law of the Medes and Persians. Sorry, just back a moment. Saying he still prays three times a day. Verse 14. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed and he was determined to rescue Daniel and he made every effort until sundown to save him. Daniel was a good guy. The king desperately needed guys like Daniel who were trustworthy in his work. Then the men who trapped Daniel, they went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember your majesty. That according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. I.e., we've trapped Daniel and we've also trapped you. So the king gave an order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring, with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Oh, the pride of kings. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. He could not sleep. Verse 19. At first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called out to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift out Daniel from the den. And when Daniel was lifted out from the den, no wound was found on him. Just as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out from the fiery furnace and they weren't burnt, no singed hair, no smell of smoke upon them. Daniel is brought through this trial without even a wound on him. And at the king's command... The men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den. 
along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. These guys schemed against Daniel. They trapped him. They got him imprisoned and thrown into this den. This weak ruler, King Darius, was trying, even though he was the ruler, he was desperately trying to find a way to rescue Daniel. But he couldn't. He was a weak, incapacitated ruler who could not free someone, who could not rescue or save one of his own. And so Daniel is thrown into this den. The tomb is sealed. And that was, in effect, what it was, a tomb. It was the grave for Daniel. And then at dawn, at the break of day, someone, the king, rushed to the tomb and cried out, Daniel, has your God been able to save you? And right there and right then is a public vindication of both Daniel and his God as he cries out, I'm alive. My God rescued me. He came. He sent his angel and he shut the mouth of the lion. The lions could not hurt Daniel. They could not overpower him. Those who sought to trap him and crush him could not overpower him. The king could not hurt Daniel. No wound was found upon him. No harm came to him. And in fact, Daniel's accusers were the ones who ended up in the tomb in the grave. Jesus said this in John 16. I have said these things. He's talking about the plans and purposes of God. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Daniel knew his God. He knew that his God is able to save, but even if he didn't, he would still stand faithful to God regardless. Dan, da, Darius couldn't save Daniel. If you remember, the god Bel couldn't save Belshazzar, and Nebuchadnezzar couldn't save himself. And just as I tell that story, I hope that that story for you begins to echo the story of Jesus. Oftentimes, when we're reading through the Old Testament, we should be seeing that echo of, oh, this points to Jesus. This points to the cross. This points to Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. This points to Jesus being the true Savior, the true Lord, the true King of his kingdom. And right here in this amazing story where Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, this story that we all know so well, it should right now be echoing for us, hey, this is the story of Jesus. And it is, isn't it? So much. People scheming against Jesus. Wanting Jesus gone off the scene. He was a hindrance. He made them look bad. He pointed out their faults. Particularly those who were pious and religious in their own eyes. Those who thought they had it all together. They were scheming to get rid of Jesus. Daniel was arrested at prayer. Jesus was arrested at prayer. A weak ruler tried to free Daniel. Hey, a weak ruler, a very weak ruler tried his best to not have to crucify Jesus, but he was unable to do so. He was unable to. Pilate could not free Jesus. He cared more about the uprising. He cared more about Caesar. He cared more about his position than he did about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was crucified. He was nailed to a cross. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head. His back was scourged. He was mocked, spat upon, 
He was lifted up as a spectacle for the world. Hey, Israel, here's your God. He was thrown into the mouth of death, just as Daniel was. And after his death, he was placed into a tomb. And just as the, to- the stone was rolled across Daniel's tomb, so too the, to- the stone was rolled over the tomb of Jesus. It too was sealed with the, with, the, um, with the seal of Rome and Caesar that it could not be opened. But then, just like in Daniel, there was a public vindication. Death could not hold Jesus. Three days later, he burst from the grave. He is alive indeed. He is alive. And it's on that claim that countless millions upon millions of people have placed their faith. Not just in a crucified Messiah, but in a resurrected king. That he has indeed defeated, conquered sin and death itself. Death could not hold Jesus. Daniel's accusers were thrown into the lion's den. And the Bible makes it very clear that we too have an accuser, Satan. And that one day he will be cast into death for all eternity. He will be punished for all eternity. I'm going to just close with King Darius's prayer at the end of this. Verse verse 25 of chapter 6. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and people of every language in all the earth. He said this, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. It's another prayer from another king. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. His prayer is so much like that of King Nebuchadnezzar's that we read a couple of weeks ago. But there is one thing that is new in King Darius's prayer. It's this. The God of Daniel is a God who is able to rescue and save. Only God can save. Only Jesus can save. Jesus was swallowed up by death, but in doing so, he swallowed up death itself. In Acts 2, listen to this. We're told this, 21, when Peter's explaining to everybody that's looking on at the birth of this early church, after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, after he's poured out his spirit on his church, he's explaining what's going on, and he says this, God raised up Jesus, loosening loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Daniel was innocent before God. Death could not get him. Jesus was innocent. He was faultless. He was the spotless lamb, the perfect sacrifice. Death had no claim over him. It's just like in Narnia, when the witch thinks she has a claim over Edmund. But then Aslan lays down his life to save Edmund, and he says, Yes, it's true that Edmund deserved to die, but the, queen, the, witch, the witch did not know that there is a deeper magic. 
in, in, in death swallowing up Jesus, he actually came and swallowed up death itself. But, excuse me, but he did not stay dead. He was resurrected, vindicated. And he appeared to many, many people alive, a bodily resurrection. This is not just wishful thinking. This is fact that many, many people have investigated and they have placed their life on. And you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what we have staked our hope on, that he is alive. This is the Christian hope that we don't just worship a God who came and died, but one who was raised to life, resurrected, vindicated publicly. Satan can go around roaring like a lion, but he cannot shake the one who sits on the throne above all thrones. Jesus is above him. In Colossians chapter 2, we read this. And you, that's you and I, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He's talking about the spiritual powers of evil and wickedness, the unseen creation. He disarmed them and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Jesus Christ. We worship, church, a risen, victorious, ascended saviour who is right now the true king of the true kingdom that is filling this whole earth he is alive he is reigning and he is a God who loves you and I no matter where you are in life no matter whether you know him or not he loves you and he has demonstrated his love to you by laying down his own life for you that you might know him and receive eternal life and hope in him and maybe this morning you say I I don't know Jesus, I I kind of get the story, but I don't know. I like being Lord of my own life. I like like living life the way that I do. I don't want to have to conform to living how God wants me to. Maybe for you this morning, that's it. You just like being God of your own life. Can I just remind you that your days are numbered? And one day you will have to stand before Jesus, the throne of Jesus himself. And at that point... He will say to you, I never knew you if you haven't placed your faith, your hope, your trust in him. And he'll say, I never knew you. And you'll go to eternal separation with him. Not with him, from him, sorry. Eternally separated. No more Messiah rescue plan from that point. Eternal damnation. Hell. Eternal suffering. The Bible paints this very real picture of what hell is like. It's very real. Do not kid yourself. Do not fall for this stupid way of thinking that says, if I just live a good life, I'll somehow find a way to persuade God one day when I stand before him. It's not true. It's a lie. The only way that you can stand before God and be counted righteous so that when you stand before the judgment seat of God one day, he says, come enter into this this promise I have for you. That I will be your God and you will be with me forever and ever. On the new heavens and new earth, the only way that you can know for sure, have a sure and certain hope, is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour today. This life. Right now. 
Today is a day of salvation because Jesus is alive, because he has conquered sin and death. And if you hear him today knocking at the door, saying, hey, can I come in? Can I make my home in your heart? Would you receive me as your Lord and Savior? Do not harden your heart. This is not just nice things to think about. This is eternal matters. These are things that are more weighty than what you're having for dinner. These are things that are more weighty than what's in your bank account and how do you make ends meet this month. This is about the story of the God who rescued us. That though we were unrighteous, though we were in rebellion to God, though we hated him and despised him, even when we did that, he died for us. That we might have his righteousness, his perfection. So that when you one day stand before your heavenly father, he doesn't see all the filth and shame and guilt and sin that's been removed, it's been washed And in its place, he sees Christ's perfection and his righteousness. Don't harden your heart. Just wonder if the band would like to come back up as we worship and celebrate. Can I encourage you? For some of you, it's a morning to get serious with God afresh. It's a morning to remember that our God indeed is a God who saves and rescues. To stop just toying around with Jesus. He's defeated sin and death. And now we live our life for him because of what he's done for us. For others of you, you've never ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ. I want to invite you this morning. Would you respond to him, maybe for the first time? And just as it was a public vindication for Daniel and for Jesus, I'd like to invite you to be brave and come to the front because there is no private faith. There is no such thing as private faith. And maybe you'd like to respond to Jesus. I want to invite you to come Who cares what other people think? This is a you and Jesus moment. I want to invite you. Would you come and just stand before God? And we'd love to pray with you. If that's okay. So can we stand? We're going to worship. Father, thank you that you sent your son, Christ Jesus. Thank you that he was faithful even to the point of death on the cross. And we thank you that you vindicated him. We thank you that you raised him to life through your spirit that death had no claim over him we thank you that the the tomb has been opened and we can therefore say with triumph and victory oh death where is your sting and yes there is one who prowls round and roars and makes all kinds of claims and falsely accuses us but thank you Jesus that you are greater thank you that you are stronger thank you that your truth is deeper and vaster and higher that your love is greater than all of these things that the enemy would try and throw at us and so I pray right now come and and encounter us afresh by your spirit open our hearts and eyes to see you afresh today we pray this for your glory we pray this that your kingdom might come even in our own lives Amen. Amen Amen